0: on the book of Jonah, and we're going to read Jonah chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, let's please go to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter. Don't be too scared. It's only 10 verses, and so uh, we should be out, out here uh, pretty soon uh, with, these, with these verses. But pay attention, because here's what happens. We've heard this story so many times that we may tune out and say, oh, I've heard that story before, but let's try to listen in and, and uh, uh, discover what it is that God has for us in chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. It says this. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by uh, going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming this 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, Put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This was the proclamation that he issued. It says this, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so... As I said earlier, we're on a series uh, called Running From God. It's the whole story of Jonah, and we're talking about this whole idea that that you and I We are called by God on purpose and for a purpose. Every single one of us here in this room has a purpose that God predetermined for you to walk in. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to be able to, to walk in. And so this is a crazy thought. Have you ever thought about this? Before you were born... God already had you in his heart, in his mind, predetermined, and he knew that you were going to be born into this world, and he has predetermined a path for you to walk in. In other words, there's something that God wants to do through you with the specific uh, qualities that you have. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I'm just weird? Like, I just, I look weird. Like, I just, I'm not a, I'm not i I'm not a, I'm not a a person like anybody else. Well, guess what? That's actually a good thing because God created you the way that he created you to do through you the thing that only he can do through you. He predetermined that before you were born, I'm going to create this person that's going to have a specific objective in this person's life that's going to result in the expansion of the kingdom and the glorifying of the name of Jesus. But I want to tell you this, that that the the predetermined idea that God has for you to be able to to establish in this world is many times not what you think. It's not to be as happy as possible. It's not to be as prosperous as possible. It's not to have the nicest retirement as possible. It's not to live as comfortably as possible. It's not to be the healthiest person as possible. It's not to, quote-unquote, live out your dreams. It's not necessarily that. His, his goal through you is to be able to expand His kingdom. So my fear as I'm preaching through this message is that we will miss what it is that God called us to do because we will be focusing our lives on, on lesser things that seem so attractive, but that are lesser things because they're worldly things. They're things that are going to end when this world ends. So today I'm going to talk about this whole idea. I I, I titled this message, Reluctant Obedience. Have you ever been there? Like, oh man, fine, I'll just do it. Have you ever been there? So most of you guys know that I grew up as a missionary in Chile. And so I'm in the middle of two cultures. And literally in this church, I'm in the middle of two cultures all the time. And it's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, you're able to see the, the differences. Like these two cultures are so different. I grew up in Chile, and there are many things that are so different than the American culture, and I see these two cultures colliding all the time. But it's fascinating. I'm going to give you three examples of things that are different from the Hispanic community than the American community. Now, I, can, I can't speak for the, all Hispanics. I can only speak for Chile. But I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that are, that are similar. Number one, greeting. So, Greeting for Chile, like greeting people is huge. It's so important that you greet people. Like if you walk into a room and there's 15 people in that room, if you're a female, you're walking in there, you are kissing every single person on the cheek. And if you're a guy, you're kissing every single female on the cheek, and the guys, you're shaking their hand, you're giving them a hug, and then you're shaking their hand again. Now the problem is that in America, you can walk into that same 15 people room and you're like, hey. And it's fine. Like, nobody thinks anything of it. But the reality is that, that I, I, since I grew up in a Chilean culture, I remember getting uh, a job as an intern here in the, in the United States. I grew up in Chile. My whole culture was Chilean. I got a job here in the United States. And I remember being in my office, and people started showing up, and nobody greeted me. Like, they just walked by. And in my mind, I'm like, I think I did, like. What did I do? Like, did I mess up? Like, is it, Why is everyone so mad at me? But what I realized was that they just didn't want to bother me because I looked so busy. But in my mind, I have the Chilean mindset. And in Chile, one of the worst things that you can do to someone is not greet them. In Chile, we, we have this phrase called "me quitó el saludo." "Me quitó el saludo" it means like like he took away the greeting. That's like the worst diss that you can do to anyone. Like, he doesn't say hi to me anymore. It's a big deal. And so that's one of the, one of the difference. The other, the other difference uh, between these, uh, these two cultures is, is time. Like, hey, if you're an American, normally, no, now, obviously there's always exceptions, but if you're five minutes late, like, you're late, you know? If you're going to be five minutes late, like, you're texting, hey, I'm, I'm running a little bit late, you know, five minutes, you're like, okay, no, no, no big deal, but in Chile, you've got like a 30-minute buffer. Like, if you're, like, literally, if you show up 25 minutes late, you're still on time. And if you want to talk to someone and say, hey, what time do you want to meet? This is actually a thing in Chile. In Chile, you will say, what time do you want to meet? Oh, 7, 7.30. I'm like, which one is it? Like, these are two completely different times. But, you know, you got, you got the difference, the difference in time. And finally, and I'll, I'll end with this, because this, this has, you'll see, you'll see the application later, but it's also food. Food, like, the, like food is a big deal. For Chile, it's a big deal. Here in the States, it's like food is like whatever. But like in Chile, you know, there's this whole thing about food, and I've never quite understood it. Like, you say, you, if someone offers you food, you say no, but that no does not mean no. That no is a hidden Yes. But you have to search for it. That's why the American culture gets so confused. We would have missionaries visit uh, from the United States to Chile, and they wouldn't understand why Chileans kept insisting on food. It's like, oh ¿quiere, ¿quiere comer algo? No, no, I'm fine. No, no, but en serio. No, no, I'm good. Ya amo. And then it's like, America was like, what's happening here? Like, I just said no. Why does he have to, does he have to insist? But in Chile, that's just the way it is. You know, you say, um, uh, you know, ¿se, ¿se va a servir algo? No, 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 no se preocupe. No, no, en serio, en serio. Si lo a algo, no, no. Ya, bueno, ¿quiere algo? Ya, bueno, ya. You know, and then it's like, but you don't, you have to understand the culture. If you don't understand the culture, you're not going to know what what to do. And so these cultures are different in, the, different in greeting. They're different in time. They're different in, in food. And it's not that one culture, like, they're, they're both just different. And you don't understand the other side many times because you're just not familiar with the culture. And the reason the reason why I bring all that up is because because it's the same way with God. You see, God is so different than we are. He is so other. That's why we use the word holy when we refer to God, because the way God operates many times is so different than any of us could ever wrap our minds around. He does things that we don't understand. Have you ever been in that situation where God does something? You're like, why did he do that? Have you ever been there? You know, when you're Favorite team doesn't win. Like, God, were you even present? Or when you want for for God to hopefully extend the life of your loved one just a little bit longer. Or you want maybe someone did something really bad to you, and you want God to just intervene and, like, punish that person that hurt me so bad. Or maybe the other way around, you want God to have mercy on someone who's been so good their whole life. You see, the problem with Jonah and this whole story of Jonah is this, is that God, from the perspective of Jonah, doesn't seem to operate in the way that makes any sense to him. He doesn't understand what God is up to. You see, these people that we're talking about, the Assyrians, were were terrible people from the the perspective of the Jewish culture. So Jonah was observing as the Assyrians would uh, just affect so negatively his culture. They were known for their military brutality. They, They would use terror as a tool. They were merciless. They were evil. If there was one group of people that from the perspective of the Israelites deserved to be punished deserved to be enslaved, deserved to be, to be paying for their wrongdoings. It was the Assyrians. Nineveh, by the way, was the capital of Assyria. God sent Jonah to preach a message to them. And Jonah didn't want to go. Because from his perspective, they didn't, they didn't deserve any mercy. Jonah didn't want to go. Like We, we studied before, and, and he went anyway against his will. He didn't want to go. Has God ever asked you to do something that you don't want to do? I remember growing up with my brother, we would always fight. We had like fist fights. We were just always fighting, the two of us. Then my, my parents, they would, make us, they would make us make up, you know, and I, I didn't feel like it. Give your brother a hug, say you're sorry, oh, fine, just kind of, okay, yeah, just like this, this hug that was so sorry and it was so inauthentic, it was like, just fine, just so, so our parents don't say anything i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna go through the motions but i don't i'm not feeling it at all this is what jonah was doing when he went into the assyrians and he went to preach this message that he's like i just don't want to do this i don't want to do it and when he preached to the ninevites he probably delivered the worst message ever like i don't know about you guys but I, i i prepare like on sundays like, I go through the scriptures and I'm trying to, to use examples and persuade you and motivate you and explain why this is important and what God is speaking to you. Like, I go through, I, you may say, Pastor, it doesn't really show. Well, I, I promise I, I work on this. <laughs> Imagine what it would be like if I didn't do any work. But I'm trying to persuade you to understand what these scriptures are saying. What if I stood up one Sunday and I had to preach on, like, the, the importance of gathering together? And I showed up and I'd be like, okay, so... Uh, um, we should like meet together every Sunday. That's what God says. Um, let's, let's close in prayer. I mean, can you imagine? First of all, I'd probably get fired, right? Because I'm so lazy. But nothing would happen. You won't be persuaded. You wouldn't be motivated. You wouldn't be convicted, right? The reason why I say that is because that's basically what Jonah did. He went in there and he's like, Okay, he just literally said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It was a message that had no hope in it. It was like, fine, God, you're asking me to do this? I'm going to do the worst job possible. So no conviction, no motivation, nothing. But here's the most amazing thing, that he preached the worst message ever preached. And against all odds, they were immediately, they were motivated, they were convicted, they were persuaded. They stopped. It's funny, like you read it. They literally stopped everything. They stopped everything and they repented. Verse 5 says the Ninevites believed God. Immediately, they believed God. And a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was this, uh, these, this, this sort of clothes that they would put on um, that was very uncomfortable. And it, it, was a, it was a show of honest repentance. They even had their animals fasting and wearing sackcloth. Even the king of Nineveh repented. Verse 6 says this, when, when, Jonah was, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his, from his throne, it says, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So they were wholeheartedly repented. The scripture makes it very, very clear. I mean, it, this, was, this was incredible. What just happened was, was incredible. It would be like almost like me showing up on a Sunday preaching the worst message ever and the result of that is that all of California all of a sudden becomes a follower of Jesus. You know? Even the governor. You know? <laughs> Believe it or not like and then and then I woke up, right? But the reality is that it was so amazing what had just happened. And that the next Sunday, can you imagine all of California, like all the churches in California are standing room only because everyone gave their life to Jesus. This is what this had just happened here. But, but it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. But here's the thing. Despite the miracle, despite the change in heart of this whole community, there was no guarantee that God was going to do anything. Because he already told them, it's going to be 40 days and you guys are going to be done. So they turned their lives over And despite the miracle, in fact, there was no message of hope through Jonah's words. But against all odds, God immediately changed his mind. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. (sighs) Isn't that a crazy story when you think about it? I mean, how does that make you feel when you hear that story? You may say, no, It makes me feel fine. Just an interesting story. But I want to ask you to put yourself in in the shoes of Jonah. Put yourself in the shoes of Jonah. Let's walk through the story very quickly. So the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. Think about this. They were the enemies of, of Israel. And here's what God just did. Not only did he forgive the nation from their terrible sins, because we're not talking about, you know, just little white lies here. We're talking about murder, rape, conquest, torture, abuse, right? So not not only did he forgive these people and not just open the door for the possibility of them repenting if they wanted to, but he actually pursued this terrible nation. He pursued this terrible nation and used a prophet who had been a victim very likely of these atrocities, or at least had seen them firsthand. And God, the moment they turned, he's like, I'm, I'm going to change my mind because you are now followers, and now you, want, you have a heart that wants to follow me. Let's be honest here. How do you think Jonah felt? These, these terrible people, these enemies. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this, are there people who, in your view, don't deserve the forgiveness of God. Are there people in your mind that have just, they've crossed the line? Like, that's too far. Like, you think like Osama Bin Laden, right? Or like a Hitler, you know, or Jeffrey Dahmer, or someone who's hurt you, someone who has personally hurt you so deeply that you're thinking, you know, that's just no. Like, like no, that's way too far. Okay, these were the Assyrians for Jonah. There were these people. So it was interesting. I was reading a little bit about a lot of Christians' reactions to the supposed conversion of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, supposedly he gave his life to Jesus right, right before he died. And it made a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people said, man, no, 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 I don't think, like this guy? No. Like, God, like the, the forgiveness of God will not extend that far. God could never forgive Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer crossed the line. He went too far. Right? God would never forgive him. But here's the problem. The problem is that we, we, think, we think about sin in a, in, in a way that is not accurate. You see, we think of sin as this, as this line that you cross. So yeah, you cross that line, right? So that's, that's too far. And the problem is that that line is different for all of us. We have a different view on where that line is. If I ask you, you're going to say something. Someone else is going to say, well, if he does this, then that's going to be a little, bit, a little bit too far. As Christians, we tend to have categories for sins. We have the worst sins, and then we have the sins that are like, yeah, that's not that bad, Right? But here's the problem. Jesus sees sin very differently. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, makes a point over and over again. And he says this, that sin is not a line that you cross, but it's a condition of the heart. That sin is not this specific action that you take that says, oh, that person sinned, but it's a condition of the heart. He says it over and over again. Because people used to believe that sex outside of marriage was crossing the line. Jesus says, you've crossed the line the moment that you lust. People used to believe that, that committing murder was crossing the line. But Jesus says that you cross the line the moment you get angry. People used to believe that, that crossing the line was, was stealing something that wasn't yours. But Jesus says that you cross the line the moment you covet. You see, sin is a condition, and the actions are simply a, let's say, symptom of that condition. If you have a cold, you have a cough, right? You can, you can, treat, the, you can treat the symptom, right? That's not going to fix the problem. You're sick. You have to, you have to do something different, right? Um, this is important because I, I grew up believing that sin was intermittent. Like sometimes you were sinning, sometimes you were not, like a... Like a Light switch that you turn on and off. And so like you could say, yesterday I committed, I don't know, maybe like 18 sins, right? Today is still kind of early, so maybe like, then it's a Sunday, so like four, right? Then tomorrow I'm going to try to do better, so I'm going to do like maybe 10, eight sins, something like that. So I thought sinning was like, sometimes you're sinning, sometimes you're not. But the reality is that it's not, that's not the way Jesus sees sin, Jesus sees sin as a condition of the heart. It's a sickness called sinful nature. And even the good that we do, the, the, the prophet Isaiah says that even our, our good deeds are tainted with sin. Now, why is this important? Because when you understand this, it allows you to see people and sin no longer in categories. Oh, that guy is bad. He's not that bad. I'm a little bit better, but not as good as this person. Like, it's over with all of that. That is not how sin is. And you know what dawned on me? I hope this is helpful because this is really helpful to me. I was studying just a little bit about personality disorders. Personality disorders. Do you know that there are five personality disorders that don't allow for a person to separate thought from action? I, f- I found that fascinating. So we have a prefrontal cortex in our, in our brain, I'm, I'm probably butchering it, but it's something like that, where there's this part of your brain that's like right here that is like a buffer. So it allows for you to process information and say, oh, that's not, look, if I do that, I'm going to go to jail. If I do that, that's not going to be good for me. So you, you process that. It's almost like um, if you, um, you know, if like, I don't know, some, somebody does something bad to you, somebody humiliated you, somebody stole your wife, somebody cut you off in traffic, and you're like, oh man, I'm not going to do what I'm thinking because I'm going to go to jail, okay? Okay, that doesn't mean you don't want that person dead in that moment, Right? And so that's the thing. We, we have this thing in our, in our brain that kind of holds us back, but the reality is that Jesus is saying that that thought that you have, that intention that you, that you have, that's immediately crossing the line whether you do what you're thinking or you don't do what you're thinking. We have this sort of buffer. And so here's the problem, and here's the bad news. That makes us all guilty before God. That's the bad news. So everyone, you me, Hitler, Billy Graham, the Assyrians, Mother Teresa and Hamas on the same level playing field from the perspective of God. Why is this important? Because I believe there are some of you who think that you're not that bad. I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm 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 good. Like I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I do good. The problem is that the way that we determine this is by comparison. You say, I'm a good person. Okay, yes. Okay, fine, if you believe that about yourself. But why do you say that you're a good person? Well, because compared to that person, well, that doesn't, that doesn't fly because that's exactly what Jonah did. Jonah said they deserve no mercy because of all the bad things that they did. And you may see people and think that they are worse than me because of everything that they do. So that person's worse because of all the things that they, that they do. But Jesus says it's not about your actions. Sin is not a line that you cross. It is a condition of the heart. And we all have that condition. The only difference is some of us recognize it and others don't. My prayer for us today is that we will come to a place where we can recognize all of us here, even if you've been coming to this church for 50 years, which is possible. By the way, this church is 154 years old, just if you didn't know that. We've been around for a long time. Even if you've been here for a long time, it's very important to recognize that we are all sick. We have this condition. It's called a sinful nature. And there's only one remedy for it, and it is the blood of Jesus. That's it. So we need to recognize this. You may say, Pastor, I don't want to, like, it's like, oh, that I'm sinful. I don't want to, like, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, it's a good thing for us to recognize it, and here's why. Luke chapter 5, this is Jesus talking, verses 31 and 32 says this, says, and Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, just for clarification, what Jesus is saying here is not, there are some who are sick. And there are some who are healthy. So I'm talking to those who are sick. You guys who are healthy, you're fine. This message isn't really for you. I'm just talking to the sick people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that there are some who claim to be healthy and others who know that they're sick. I have come to those who know that they are sick. Those are the people who I have come for. And so I want to invite you to be, to be careful when you start feeling healthy. Like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty I'm pretty healthy. Like I don't feel like I need a savior that much anymore because I got my my ducks in a row. I got you know my life is is pretty good right now. When you start feeling that I want you to be careful because when you do, you stop feel you start feeling self-sufficient. And you know what Jesus says? I didn't come for you. I came for those who know they are sick who know that they need a Savior. And that doesn't end by the way, oh, I got baptized, I got saved, I no longer need a Savior, I can now live my own life. No, guess what? I promise you this. I need to be saved by Jesus from my sins every single day. And if you feel like you don't, I want to caution you against that because there are only two types of people in the world. The sick who know they are sick and the sick who think they're healthy. Jesus came for these guys. Jesus came for the sick. So today's lesson is, is for all of us who, like Jonah, because it's a warning sign. Like Jonah, we see people in categories. Like, oh, no, that guy is, too. that guy, that guy, whew. no, dude, forget it. At least I'm not like that guy. If you start doing that and you start thinking those ways, that's because you don't understand sin. You don't understand how hopeless we are without Jesus. Because when we come to terms with our utter spiritual bankruptcy, when we understand that we, have, we, are, we are toast without the blood of Jesus, when we understand that, that's when we create this space for Jesus to come into our lives and to start saving us. Because if you don't need a Savior, if you can save yourself, so I guess it, the whole idea of this message is for us to start becoming a little bit more desperate in understanding who we truly are and who God really is. Um, so there's only one type of people in the world and that's the sinful. And this illness only has one remedy that will purify you from your sin and it is the blood of Jesus. And we all need this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the joys of my life uh, I was talking to someone last Sunday and it was just, this person came to me after church and, and I had a little conversation with him and, and this person was, was, I could see it in his eyes. He was, he was desperate. He was recognizing his sinfulness. He was recognizing how much he needed Christ. He, there, was no, there was like no nonsense in his words. It was like just, pastor, like I know that I've messed up like, I know, and I need Jesus, you know, the reason I love that, I love that so much. And the, pr- the, the reason why I love that so much is because, is because I want to be like that every single day. I don't want to ever get to a point where I'm no longer desperate. Like, oh, I got my ducks in a row. This is pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, interacting with that person made me, made me remind myself that there's no difference between the two of us. Like, we are both Sinful, and we both need Jesus, and that should never change because the moment that changes, you become replacing the righteousness of Jesus for self righteousness. And so, I just want to invite you to be careful when we feel like we have it all together. This is what happened to Jonah. That's why he was so reluctant in his obedience because he felt like they didn't deserve it. There was something about him, something about them that disqualified them. I know this is a hard one because we all have people in our lives that have hurt us or people that we see that have just sort of crossed the line. So I want to invite you to, to check that, to check that, to check your heart and realize where we at, we're at. So I'm going to. I'm going to ask you if we could close our eyes here for a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. And so maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're just confused about what this message was about. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you thought that being a, a Christian or being a follower of Jesus was just about receiving Christ one day, getting baptized, and then... And then that's it. But you've realized this morning that there's much more going on here. That the need for salvation is something that we desperately thirst or should thirst for every single day. So maybe you're here today and you've, you've thought about people around you and things that you've gone through or situations around the world where you're like, man, those people... So I want to I ask you to allow for the Holy Spirit to start to show you what the true nature of sin is. So we won't be reluctant like Jonah was. And realizing that we are all sinners and we all need to be saved. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this message today. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your presence. We thank you, God, because we know that you've spoken to us. And I pray that we will receive this message in the way that you want us to hear it. I know this hits differently to everyone here. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will do what I can't do, which is convict hearts and allow for transformation to happen. And so, God, I I pray this this morning, and I thank you so much for your beautiful word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.